0: SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Welcome back to the Sportsfeet KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week from his vehicle by C.J. Moore of The Athletic and Bleach Report. C.J., how you doing this week?
1: Good. Well, actually, I'll be honest. Not good today, man. Not good today. Why not um, good today? And, uh, I'm on my way back from Springfield, which was great. Doing a story on Alizé Johnson, NBA prospect, that place for Missouri State. Great kid, great interview. Everything went, went awesome there. But I wake up this morning and I have a text from my wife. That says something's up with a plum plumbing. plumbing. Call me when you wake up. So that sucks. <laughs> it is a terrible way to to wake up. Uh, you know, see that message and then get all my way back today and um, get about thirty minutes down the road. Get a call from the Spr- from the Missouri State SID. I'd forgotten my bag there, so that added a, an hour onto my drive. Turn around to go go back and get uh. that. So. Ah, oh, it's been kind of a uh, crappy day. Got the, got the plumber coming tomorrow to see why we have backup in our house. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get the uh, get too, give too many nasty details, but you can imagine plumbing not fun. I,
0: I think, C.J., you couldn't have described better what it's like to be a man in your 30s than your day. What it is yeah, today, right. like right? I mean, you start forgetting <laughs> things. You lose your memory. You have plumbing problems, and you're you yeah, you like responsible adult, and call people about it. Uh, yeah, you basically uh, described living life in your 30s in one day.
1: Yeah, home ownership sucks. If you're 25 <laughs> and listening to this, just just don't become an adult. <laughs> don't do it.
0: Don't grow up. Go the Peter Pan route. Don't grow up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Well, um, so, even anyway. though even though we're both getting older, CJ, uh, the guys at KU and college, they remain the same age, and they are still playing basketball at a very high level. A huge week for the Jayhawks, including a victory over West Virginia, coming back from a 16-point deficit on Monday. I guess I'll just open the floor for you to start talking about what you saw from KU in that West Virginia game, and I guess what you think it means for the Jayhawks moving forward.
1: Yeah, they don't need to call the plumber to fix things right now. <laughs> And a couple of weeks ago, it looked like there were some issues, right? But uh,
0: it was kind of no, sticky. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's amazing <laughs> what uh, how the conversation is probably changed from from last time we did a podcast, and definitely probably two times ago we did a podcast. You know, it was kind of like, is this the year? Yada yada yada. And while I still think there's questions with this team, and and I don't know that everything's rosy yet. They're in such a good place right now. It's such a better place than they were just a week ago because to go on the road and and get that win at West Virginia and then to, you know, kind of sneak away with the win they had against K-State. And now everybody else loses. Now they're game up on the league. I mean, it's it's just amazing where they are. And I thought, you know, the, the biggest takeaway for me from that West Virginia game was just, you know, I was at the game. What game was it? I was there. Was it the Texas Tech game where Bill Self said it was the softest team he's ever coached? Yeah, I was there. as all-state game. It
0: was. Uh, it was one of those. So I think it was Texas Tech. They call it "like it is." Quote. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was there for both those losses, and you know, he he, he there he was onto something there. Like he wasn't just saying it to. I mean, I'm sure he was saying it to motivate his team, but like there were reasons from what he was seeing to say that, and. For them to now have one of these wins like they had on Monday where it was just one of those wins that Bill self-likes where you don't play well, but you find a way. And, you know, I thought that they showed a lot of toughness and, and like, to have the issues they had early on handling the pressure. Yep. I thought the first half of that game they didn't run any off, Like, they could barely run any offense. They weren't getting what they wanted. And second half I thought it was really telling the first two possessions they come out, and they actually missed the shots, but they ran good offense and got good shots. And that was like, to me, I was like, okay, this might turn a little bit just because they're starting to – they're they're finding a way to get what they want. And if they can make shots, then this game could turn. And, you know, they, they started to make shots. V made a couple big, huge ones. And the defense that he played, I thought was – you know, he's he's been – what I had this in my story last week on him that he's maybe been their most consistent – perimeter defender. I thought he played excellent defense throughout that game and last year we had the conversation with like Svi really really struggled defensively and you know that was a big I think that was a concern with him coming into this year but I think he's been a much better defender and stepped up that game and then I think we need to talk more about Yudoka Azabuke because the dudes shoot almost 80% from the field and Big 12 play and for the season and in that game they were plus twenty two with him on the floor, and I think you know it speaks to to two things how how awesome he's been lately, and then also you know how much they need his size because they get so small when he's not out there and hopefully for them, Silvio de soso will will help help with that a little bit And I, I thought he had some good moments in that game, so that's kind of my stream of consciousness thoughts from from just that game and where they are right now where are you at jesse?
0: Yeah, a lot of those same things. Here, I've got a crazy stat for you, for Udoka. Are you ready for this one?
1: Yeah. Throw it at me.
0: Okay, so everybody basically by now knows that Udoka leads the nation in field goal percentage. And if you look even more specifically, he leads the nation in effective field goal percentage. So if you give even extra credit for, for three-pointers and two, you know, giving them. Because he shoots a ton of them. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, that can compare him <laughs> no, to. No, he doesn't even get
1: the, the credit for that. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah, yeah, I it mean, should be
0: leading the country in effective field goal percentage. If there's a Steph Curry out there shooting 50% from three, um, then they, they should be, you know, we should talk about them with you know, him with Yudoka Azubuki because that's getting as many points or creating as many points as Yudoka is by making twos. So it's not really a surprise. Okay, Yudoka's leading in field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage. That's really that's what you would probably expect based on watching him. Now, do you know what true shooting percentage is, CJ?
1: Yeah, it factors in free throw percentage, which would hurt him, but he still leads the mat, too, right?
0: Yeah, so that's my stat is that, okay, Yudoka so far this year is 19 for 45 from the free throw line. That's 42%, okay? True shooting percentage takes into account like all your shooting, which means it factors in your free throw shot and how well you shoot from there. Yudoka is still number one in the nation. In true shooting percentage, factoring in his awful, like gotta get him out of the game at the end of games, free throw shooting. Uh, that, to me, is almost, that's way more stunning than him being leading. Because people were saying he's dunking and he's getting short shots and all those sorts of things, but for him to even count in his his free throws and still be number one in the nation, uh, that tells you how far he is ahead of the pack just to, to have the kind of season he's having. And like you said, he, he provides what no one else can provide. I've kind of been writing about this a lot this season, which is that's why they need him to be great on the defensive glass and on the offensive glass and to do some of these Landon Lucas-type things because he's the one big true body that can do it. I mean, he, he he has the physicality, the big uh, body, the athleticism to rebound, whereas it doesn't matter how much Svima Mykailuk wants it. I mean, I guess it does a little bit because he got some big boy rebounds, if you will, against West Virginia. But for the most part, it's really difficult for Malik Newman or Svima Mykailuk, even if they want the rebound real bad, to go in there and rebound. For Yudoka know, Zbuka, if he wants it real bad, there's a good chance he's going to get it. So, again, it was another example of how important Yudoka is and allows KU to play kind of that multi-pronged attack, which is if teams really, really get out, to them on the perimeter, then you have another option to go to, which is throwing it to Udoka inside. And
1: I'll, I'll fill the air here for a second with some Udoka talk, but I want you to look up a stat, Jesse, for me. Um, if you could pull up Synergy and go to his post-ups, you might know this off the top of your head because you're Jesse Newell and you know all the numbers. <laughs> but uh, I'm curi- I'm curious what his efficiency is on post-ups because for the listeners, you know, the, the the game, the reason the NBA game is turning away from throwing the ball into the post is because the post-up, what we found over time, and, you know, when, when, when basketball people started really looking into the efficiency of different types of shots, is the post-up is usually not a very efficient shot. It's the
0: least and, efficient, but yeah. It's the least efficient.
1: It's the, le- it's the least efficient, yeah. So, um, you know, but Yudoga, I think, has is, is probably done pretty well in those numbers, so I'm, I'm curious what they are. And, to to speak to his defensive, you know, value and, and, and what he can bring, I thought that was definitely the best defensive effort from Kansas all season. I mean, they really really guarded well, and he's a big part of that. And part of the reason he, you know, they had the plus twenty two with him on the floor is they needed him out there. And we talked a few weeks ago about how you know I, I thought he kind of had some problems defensively just because things were in his head um you know knowing he needed a rebound knowing he had to be the rim protector there was a lot on him and i thought it was getting to him but i thought he really really guarded that game and and did a good job and and even though he, he showed some resolve where things were not good for him because he gets that technical which i can go on a whole rant on i think that i think technicals like that are just garbage and there's there's no room for him in the college game. Like, let a guy stare at a kid for, for two seconds. Like, okay, he just dunked. Like, let the kid show a little bit of emotion. He, it wasn't like a big-time show-up. You know, I thought that the, probably the technical on the K-State kid on Cartier last weekend, that was probably trash, too. I don't know what he said, but I'm sure it was it was terrible, too. I think the refs are, are way too quick to pull the trigger. But anyway, that's a, that's a rant I could go on for days. But uh, his defense in that game was awesome, and it and it shows – why he's so important and needs to stay on the floor. And he could have really gone south that game because he he had the foul trouble. But I thought, you know, maybe maybe you give Bill Self a little bit of credit to stick with, to, to, you know, have a message for him. Hey, we still need you. Don't let this take you down. And for him to come back in the second half and play the way he did, it could have been easy for him to to kind of mope and let himself take his head out of the game, let that take him out of the game. But it didn't. And he was was a huge part of that comeback.
0: Your answer is 1.25 points per possession. He ranks in the 97th percentile nationally, which is an excellent mark according to Synergy. So, yes, um, when he gets the ball inside, it's basically a really efficient play for KU. And, I mean, let's be honest about it. It's an efficient play for KU, partly because they have such dangerous outside shooters, which allows him to be yeah. right up on the inside. And when he gets in there, you almost have to single-team him just because if you go help with somebody... He can pass it out. I mean, he's not the greatest passer in the world, but if you double-team him, he can pass out to a wide-open Swee Mikhailuk for an open three. And if I want to go up to that number, I don't think you're doing yourself much favors with that if you want to let uh, Sweet Mikhailuk shoot spot-up shots all day. Let me look at his number on there. Yeah, uh, 1.13 points possession for Swee on spot-up. So, again, it's kind of like the pick-your-poison uh, when it comes to uh, Kansas basketball, which which efficient shot you want to give up. You know, the other thing I want to talk about with, with Udoka, if I'm being honest with you, that technical foul that he got, <laughs> Bill Self's probably happy with it, CJ. I mean, if we're being honest, like, what has he so wanted, he's what has he wanted yeah. from Udoka this whole year? He's wanted him to show some emotion. He's wanted him to be a presence and an impact and, and, and wanted him to play. You know, he's talked on Hawk Talk before. He's wanted him to be the kind of rebounder where uh, – who was the old guy? Uh, the, the guy back at Oklahoma State where the coaches put some uh, – they put some elbow pads on him in practice. Uh, I'll think of it here in a second. The Grand Brothers? Yeah. I, no, I was one, it was somebody further back. Wacky was a GA. Byron or By- Brian, one of those guys. Anyway, I'll find it. But anyway, they used to put elbow pads on him in practice because he would go after rebounds so hard that other guys would stop going after them because they were like, oh, if we go after these rebounds, our guy in practice is going to elbow us in the head. And so they basically put elbow pads on and be like, okay, guys, you can still go for rebounds. We still want you to go for rebounds, but he is such an intimidating force. He let people know, hey, you know, if you're coming inside or the other team, if you're going after rebound, you're going to look out for elbows because I'm coming after him. For Udoka, that's yeah. just never been the mindset. I mean, I, w- I remember pulling up plays earlier this year where he closes out on a guy and he starts running to the other end, not even trying to get the defense around because he wants to run out in transition. Like – When he barks at somebody and yells at him and tries to be an intimidator and says, yeah, I dunked on you or whatever the case may be, I mean, that's probably Bill Self like, great. (laughs) That's exactly what he's wanted out of him you know, for his year and a half at Kansas. I guess now kind of a full year since he sat out most of last year, but uh, that's probably overall a net positive sign. I know it got him in foul trouble. I know it's not a smart play and he's got to be better with fouls, all those sorts of things. There were some fouls that were better than others, but Overall, it's probably a net positive for KU that Udoka showed some emotion, showed some intimidation, got into somebody's head a little bit, and was a little bit of an intimidator. Which this team, let's be honest, it does not have much of that.
1: Yeah, I did a damn good job filling the air, dude. Uh, you look up that stat, didn't
0: I? Yeah, you did. You just kept <laughs> rambling and rambling. That's... You know, I will say that you're pretty good at that, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good rambler. Uh And that that one-two-five could come back from that that's like the most efficient offense in college basketball i think duke's probably around there for the season so basically when you get the ball to udoka on a post-up you're you're getting the result of like the most efficient offense in college basketball like to kind of put that in perspective for people like a, a guy who gets the number of post-ups that he's gotten that shouldn't be that kind of efficiency and like you said he's in an ideal situation for him because KU shoots the ball so well that it's hard to double him. Like, to give you an example, I was just, I was at the Missouri State Palpo um, game last night and this A. Johnson kid from Missouri State, you know, NBA prospect, really, really good player. Anytime he touched the ball in mid-post area or even near the post, like, he was getting double teams no matter what. And for elite post players, that's, that's the case a lot of times. But, you know, so you do have to give you because teammates some credit because he's in a situation where it's really, really allowed him to, to flourish and uh, But, hey, the, I, I don't think any of us would have ever predicted this kind of efficiency and production from him. And I'm sure he's, he's surpassing, at least offensively, the expectations Kansas coaches had for him because he's really, really playing well.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about the defense a little bit. I, I don't know if it was an epiphan- epiphany on the coaching staff's part or what it was, but I think you see more of him when he's challenging shots lately. He's going up with both hands rather than swatting with one. And he seemed to have great success there in the last couple weeks with that. You know, I can go through his numbers here, but it wasn't as much against West Virginia. He had one block there. But go back two games, Iowa State four blocks, Kansas State five blocks. And if I'm looking at this right, uh, the previous, let's see, six or seven games before that, he had one block, two blocks, two blocks, zero, one, zero, then four, five, and one. Um, I think it's just a little bit of an altering of the style for him, but yeah, he's he's been more that rim protector, and that's been kind of one of the under-talked about uh, storylines. Is I thought that this defense really could take off with him inside because Landon Lucas was, as Bill Self will tell you, a really smart player, a great position defender, but he was not a rim protector. I thought Udoka could be a true rim protector. And that hadn't happened really until the last two games, or the last three, last three games for Kansas. So, if he's able to do that a little bit more and provide a little bit more of an inside presence where it comes to rim protection, I mean, we saw what Konate can do to a team mentally, physically, everything. When we get those those sort of uh, so blocks at the rim, if you don't provide that for KU, then it might be a big lift for this defense. Which, obviously, to this point in the season, that's got to be the biggest concern moving forward.
1: That's a great observation, Jesse. Just think about it too, like. He he is a huge freaking dude. Yeah. So if you're going to the basket and you see that dude and he throwing up two hands and you gotta shoot over the girth and the legs, like that I mean it's it's a good idea and if if it was a coaching point from KU, like he's so big and so wide that like I think that's that's smart and if you um a lot of the blocks that uh Canate was getting were with two hands, weren't they? When, when he was getting those at the rim, I think he was going up with two hands, too. So, um, you know, for a guy, sometimes when guys don't have, like, super great timing, that's that's a smart way to go about it. You know, you, 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 you teach guys to wall, which you wall with two hands, but, you know, if you can jump and wall at the same time, the other thing with that is officials, if you're not, a lot of times when you go up with one hand, you're more likely to, to swing. Yes. And so... When you, when you go up with two, you're less likely to swing. And the way the game is called these days, if you go up vertical with two hands and you just straight straight up, a lot of times they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt on contact. Like, if the offense is initiating contact, they're not going to call that. They're going to let you go vertical. That's the rule. So, um, you know, like, like you said, his rim protection is very, very important for this team. And their defense is going to be much better because of it. And we were, I mean, we had these discussions earlier on. It was, it was disappointing kind of what the rim protection he was giving Kansas. I think that was part of the problem with the defense.
0: Let's get to some questions. I asked him on Twitter, and uh, we'll get through these. And I know you've got a, a radio interview coming up here in about 20 minutes, so I want to be sure to get you out with that. But uh, let's go to Jeffrey here. What wins the Big 12 outright this year, 14-4? and four. Any shot 13-5 and five gets it done in this nutty year. What do you think, CJ? Yeah,
1: I think 13 wins gets it done. Uh, the the, the league's just so good top to bottom Um, you know even the team that wins the league's probably going to have at least like one bad L from one of those bottom teams so I I think at least 13 wins gets it what do you think Jesse
0: yeah probably I mean the only thing is I think KU might get to 14 and that's just it's it's weird talking about this Kansas team because I feel like a week or two ago I was defending them saying hey this is not the worst team in the Bill Self era I remember writing that and people like being mad about that and so now, KU's played really well in the last couple of weeks, and I almost feel like going the other direction, and saying, "Hey, now wait a minute. This this Big 12 isn't locked up yet because of the one wild card to me, which is Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech, the advantage that that the Red Raiders have is basically that they got the most important win you can have right now under their belts if you're trying to knock off Kansas, which is they got to win at the Fieldhouse. Yeah, yeah. And so they're going to be favored against KU in that game coming back up in late February, if 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 Texas Tech wins that game you you are taking you are plus 2 against Kansas head to head and that and then you know the rest of the way you just have to not be terrible but again Texas Tech losing a game at Texas last night that doesn't help and that seems to be what always happens with Kansas is that Kansas gets out to a lead and then these schools that could pop up and maybe beat them start losing these 50-50 type games that Kansas never seems to lose so um yeah I, I agree with you I think I think 14 and 4 Probably gets it by itself, and I wouldn't be surprised if okay, you got there by now. Just because, if you look at the Jayhawks, they're doing exactly what they've done every other year. I mean, they've they've won five games in the Big 12, and they've won those five games by a combined 21 points. And so, you know, it's whenever it comes down crunch time, whenever it seems close, and a, a lucky break here or there could win the game for you. KU wins, and that's just the way it's been. That's the way it has seemed to always be in the past few years and, and how it's been the last 14 years, you know, when the streak has gone on. So yeah. if you assume that's going to be the case moving forward, then I don't think KU uh, – I think KU can get to 14, and that might be another loss at home. It might be another couple of losses on the road, but uh, 14 would definitely do it. 13 would probably get you a share. I think that's kind of where I'd be right now.
1: Here, here's here's the deal. I, I think, I think their four teams legitimately have a chance, and – Those four teams, I mean, everybody knows those four teams, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Kansas, and Oklahoma. All right. Each of those four teams are are way weaker on one end. Like, Texas Tech, offensively, they're going to have games where they really struggle. Like, they they don't have elite offensive talent, but they're an elite defensive team. Yes. Okay? So, they're going to lose some games just because they, they don't make shots, you know. They're they're not a great offensive team. Same with West Virginia. They're not a great offensive team. They're gonna they're gonna have games like the Kansas game where they struggle to score, and so they're gonna lose some games because of that. And then Oklahoma and Kansas, both teams I think we've seen have games where they've decided to guard and they can guard. It's gonna be you know which which one of those four teams can kind of. Fix their deficiencies the best. And with Kansas, it's, you know, whether or not they're going to guard. Can they consistently guard? Because Oklahoma's the same way. Like, that game against K-State the other night, Oklahoma's defense was trash. Like, they, they – a lot of times they're indifferent to defense. And they were like that kind of a couple of years ago with uh, the Buddy heel year, and that's one reason they weren't super – you know, that's one reason they fell off, I think, a little bit in the league. And same deal with this team. Now, this team probably is built a little bit better to defend but they've got to buy into that and and same with Kansas and so it was encouraging on Monday night but hey let's see what they do here like the next three four or five games because like I said West Virginia does have some some limitations offensively and they kind of always have so it's I think KU whether or not they they keep this streak going a lot of it's going to come down to the defense because their offense while they're going to have games where they're off because they're still relying on shooting they're, they're going to be a pretty good uh, top-tier offensive team in the league for the season.
0: This kind of leads into this question by hey J, which is do you expect two bigs in the lineup in February? And you speak to KU's defense and maybe how it's been a little bit subpar compared to past years. How much could that help KU's defense if they're able to get a second big on the court and help with the team's defensive rebounding?
1: I, I think it helps. I, I still don't think – I think they go small majority of the time. I don't think that changes. I think you maybe see up to, like, 10 minutes a game maybe, maybe, where they go big. What do you think, Jesse? I, I still think – I mean, at this point I'm thinking it, it, it's really hard for me to believe Billy Preston's ever going to play. The longer it goes, the harder it gets to believe. And, you know, even if they get a good Silvio, like – I still feel like they're just going to go small a majority of the time because they want to have those guards on the floor as much as possible.
0: Yeah, I think it all relies on Billy Preston, um, and that'll be the next question here. But before we get to that, I I just think that yeah, I mean, Silvio's going to be limited. He doesn't know all the play calls. He's still learning. He's probably picked things up maybe quicker than Bill Self would have anticipated coming in, but even then, if you have those three big guys, yeah, I can't imagine you're playing more than five or ten minutes a game with two bigs. I mean, that would even, even that would require you to get to, what would that be, 50 minutes combined for those three guys. And right now that's, that's kind of a stretch to get to that number, even with Yudoka playing basically every available minute that he can play. He can get 30. Okay, then maybe Mitch Lifo gets 12-ish, and then Silvio gets 10-ish. And then, so that, that would get you to ten minutes a game?
1: I see if anybody's minutes are going to go up, like I don't see Silvio and Udoka playing together a lot, if at all. I do see Mitch playing with those two some, like getting him some minutes at the four. So a lot of it might come down to how well Mitch Lightfoot's playing. Like is he playing so well, we want to get him on the floor more at the four because really like situationally to get him his minutes at the five now it's probably got to be, like, the right kind of opponent. So, yeah, maybe he gets some more minutes at the floor just to get him, like, in an ideal scenario for him. And that steals some minutes away from small ball.
0: Yeah, well, and Bill Self said today at his press conference, I know you weren't here, CJ, but he talked about Mitch helping out Silvio, and he was kind of talking about the unselfishness of that, basically saying, hey, Mitch is helping Silvio, despite the fact that, you know, it might cost him some minutes in the future. And so that would lead me to believe that Bill Self, yeah, you want to get Mitch maybe to his natural position of the four, but Bill Self in the grand scheme of things might want to play Silvio and Udoka together some and see what that two-big lineup looks like. But, you know, I thought a great article, I'm going to plug The Athletic here, CJ, since uh, you are a a working member for them too, Uh, a great article by Ken Pomeroy earlier this week basically talking about the teams that are bad defensively and kind of talking about overall coaching and how it is to get to your team's best ceiling and how you do that. It is not all just rainbows and unicorns for KU when they get these big guys eligible and deciding, "Hey, play two bigs, that's going to make everything better." What it likely is is it's going to be it's going to make your defensive rebounding better but it's going to make your offense slightly worse because you don't have as many shooters on the floor and Sylvia's not going to know what he's doing as much, and they haven't practiced that all season. It's not their identity right now. So it's going to be up to Bill's self and coaching staff to kind of figure out what the net positive is or if it's a net positive to play these two bigs together or, again, if you go with the girl that brought you because right now the girl that's brought KU to a 5-1 a and one Big 12 record and the success it's had so far has been a four-guard lineup, and that might provide some limitations, but it's also provided some pretty good successes too. So I think that kind of interplay right will be something to watch moving forward just to see how far Bill Self goes with this and how much he wants to adjust away from what's been successful for KU so far, even if it's been a little bit more one-dimensional than what the Jayhawks have done in the past. sure. All right, let's get to that question. Uh, Michael F. Marshall says, What could possibly be the NCAA problem with Billy Preston? Um, I will say that Bill Self, on his ESPN interview with, with ESPN's Jeff Goodman, I think he said the words hopefully optimistic with Billy Preston uh, in that interview yesterday. And then he also said that it's a complicated uh, issue. So I think that's all I can come up with right now. Uh, you know, my my two trains of thought basically are this, for one, he's already sat out whatever it is, 17 or 18 games. So that's a pretty significant suspension. So the fact that he's still out, let's say the NCAA thought they had something or they thought that KU had found something on him, but it only merited 15 or game suspension. He would be playing by now. You know, the answer, somebody would say, well, he had this. He's going to pay this amount of money back, but he's allowed to play now. That hasn't happened. So that, to me, says we're talking about something more serious than that. And then the fact that Bill Self says it's complicated could mean that it could be more... Uh, of an issue than just a car. Maybe there's other details involved with it. I'm not sure, but I think the only known in this is that it is maybe deeper than what we first believed it was and more complicated than what most fans believe it is. And the fact that he still is being held out and that this is something that is holding him out that potentially could now be a season-long suspension lets me know that maybe uh, it's more than we can behold right now that, that the NCAA is trying to sort out.
1: Yeah, I just hope for, for Billy Preston's sake that he's able to play at some point, whether it is the end of this year or next year, because if it gets to the point where the NCAA says, okay, he ruined his eligibility or his amateur status, like you can never play him. It's going to be a shame for the kid because, you know, maybe he did something that he did this to himself or who knows, maybe his family did, who knows, but he would benefit from playing college basketball because at this point, if he has to come out and declare for the draft this year without ever having played a minute of college basketball, Jesse, there's a, from from the conversations I had with scouts, like there's a decent chance he goes undrafted. He could maybe go in the second round, but there's a decent chance he goes undrafted. So it's just, and, and he's not going to be even close to prepared. So it's just for the kid's life. Like it's just really, really sucks. And you hope, at some point, he's able to play just because I think he needs it. I think he needs co- he needs college basketball. Um, you know, it's, it's not the past for everybody. I guess he could go to the D League and maybe – or the G League and get – you know, come, come up that way. And, and, and you hope whatever happens for him, you know, the, the right thing happens for him down the road that he's able to kind of live out his basketball dreams. Because right now, it's a really, really tough spot for him. Because even if he has to come in late this year and play, that's going to be a tough spot. And if he never gets to play – it's just it's gonna be a tough spot for the kid because he's not like a, a no-brainer NBA prospect at this point. Like, he is a prospect, but th- th- scouts need to see something, right? So that that that's kind of my take on that. I, it's it's just kind of sad at this point.
0: Well, and it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult without knowing the facts to kind of come down one way or the other. Because I know fans are frustrated. I know, you know, throughout all this, it's like the NBA is becoming the enemy and Billy Preston's becoming the victim. But without knowing exactly what happened, it's a difficult stance to take. You know what I mean? Because it's true. Yeah, at, yeah. At, at some point, because this has dragged on so long, it it seems like something. Now, listen, we can argue all day, and I will argue all day that that the system's messed up, it's broken, all these sorts of things. I mean, Billy it Preston, is. Billy Preston, he still could have, he still could have done something. That
1: at the end of the day, we're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, you know, you never know, you don't know, we don't know,
0: nobody I, knows. I know that's so. what I'm saying. Like it, could, it could be something really bad, and the NCA obviously. And KU profits off of Billy Preston more than Billy Preston profits off of going one year to college, and so you know if something did happen, um, that sometimes is what happens in this in this in, you know in the I would say this industry, even though they quote it's not industry industry, you know what I mean. But at this point, yeah. we just don't know. And again, could it be a relationship that he had prior to that? Is that something that KU's trying to prove? Is it somebody? who is an agent, but he knew before? Is it something complicated? I don't know. I don't know at this point. But the bottom line is, without knowing what I don't know, it's really difficult to come down and have sympathy for him or to not have sympathy for him because I don't know what the NCAA is looking at or what KU has looked at in this instance. And obviously, when KU is sending its case to the NCAA, when KU Athletics is, not the compliance department, but KU Athletics is sending it in, they're going to do whatever they can to try to benefit um, him and and try to get him cleared to play because it would benefit the university if he plays basketball, and it benefits the kid if if he plays basketball. So again, it's a it's a difficult spot to be in. I I don't really know much more much more to say on it than that. But without knowing all the details, it's hard to come up with to me in my mind a victim, or an enemy, or a protagonist, or an antagonist. It's just, I think it's just one of those situations that continues to loom, and it really doesn't do anybody any good right now. The NCAA is getting a bunch of flack. KU is getting a bunch of flack. Billy Preston's not playing. It's just, it's kind of an unfortunate mess that is maybe more of a result of the system rather than it is, uh, you know, the player or the situation, whatever the case might be. Let's get to the last question from Dan Fagan. He said, what defensive changes have led to the stretches of good defense? What, change, what changes still need to be made? So. CJ, can you just point out what you saw in the second half against West Virginia that, that KU did well?
1: I mean, I think we've, we've really hit on it mostly. I think
0: they're, they're
1: doing a better job. One thing we haven't they're, said, they're doing a better job of keeping the ball in front of them. And then Yudoka's rim protection has, has been huge. And, you know, I, I just think it's effort and energy. And you saw better effort, a better sustained effort and energy and activity from them over the course of that game because they had to, like they just weren't going to outscore them because they were really struggling to score. So I think they just have to find a way to, 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 to sustain the energy. And it now helps that they've got another couple bodies to throw in the rotation. And hopefully, you know, I still think the minutes for C and, and, and um, for Devontae are going to be really, really high, but maybe you're going to get to the point where you can steal some minutes from him and, and that'll help with their energy. But really, I just think a lot of times it comes down to, to energy, and energy, and and that's that's mostly what I saw, and a, and a better version of Udoka.
0: Yeah, KU switching almost everything. I think they're getting better at communicating that. You saw some cuts and things that were being better defended in the lane, and then I was shocked at West Virginia. You know, if you watch KU closely defensively, almost every Big 12 team has made them run around ball screens and made Devontae basically run wind sprints up top just to tire him out at the end of the game. and. West Virginia didn't do that. I mean, it was pretty stagnant offensively. Didn't not much That's body what they or do ball movement. Yeah. I mean, but they did make Devontae work. That seemed like Devontae, like a vacation for him. He played 40 minutes, but it felt like less than other games because Texas Tech made him run around all the time. And K-State made him run around all the time. You saw a fresh Devontae and a fresh V at the end of that game because they scored 20 of the last 22 points. I mean, you could see those guys were playing well down the stretch. So it was pretty amazing. But I think exactly what you said was the first game in Big 12 play that KU had played better defense in the second half than in the first half. That came down to energy and effort, and that's because I don't think West Virginia worked KU as hard in that second half Definitely not as much as it did in the first half. I wanted to give a shout out quickly to Jay Hawker and to Waka Rusa Willy, who both went online and heated our call and went to iTunes and gave reviews. I thought Waka Russo Willie's was funny. He said, Jesse and CJ probably ought to be rated at four stars with one demerit for infrequency. Uh, so, point well taken, <laughs> uh, Waka Russo Willie, but uh, we do appreciate the uh, feedback on there, and uh, yeah, I, I like seeing uh, people uh, comment on the KU podcast and not just talk about the A-team and Therese all the time. So, please do that if you haven't yet. Go on iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It helps out our rating. Uh, with that, I think we're going to get out of here. CJ, any last comments and anything we forward to with KU coming up this next week uh no
1: no it's just just crazy where we are from uh from where we've been so uh it's it's gonna be I I think there's gonna be some uh some peaks and valleys the rest of the way don't don't expect to just be you know sunshine and rainbows from from here going forward it's it's gonna be a long grind for, for this big 12 season but uh they're in a
0: really, really good spot. Yeah, it's crazy how the narrative changes so quickly uh, in this KU basketball season when it comes to not only his team, but its chances with the streak. That's something that always seems to uh, be the main discussion point this time of year. For CJ, this is Jesse. We're going to sign off for the Sports Beat KC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week. SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase.